It's the Real Estate Podcast, brought to you by Ray White, the largest real estate and property group in Australasia. And welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Podcast, available on iHeartRadio and also Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Well, it's a Monday, June the 13th for 2022, and coming up in just a moment, we've got a prop track report with economist Angus Moore for the month of May with stats and statistical analysis. And I see on this day, June the 13th, back in 2003, cricketing enthusiasts are fearful for the future of Test Match Cricket. The seeds of doubt were sown on this day when the furiously fast T20 format was introduced. If you're celebrating a birthday, you're in good company. Tim Allen is turning 69. Chris Evans is 41. And Ashley and Mary-Kate Olsen, they're turning 36 today. It's the main centre forecast with propertybuyer.com.au. All right, let's have a look at Sydney weather first off and expecting a mainly fine Monday. Tell you what, the temperature's not that high for Sydney today, just 15 degrees. Melbourne, expect one or two showers. Your high, the same as I think for the last three or four days. 13 is your high. Brisbane, expecting fine and sunny with 21 degrees. And in Perth today, showers to ease and your expected high is 19. Enjoy your morning coffee. Wake up every morning to the Real Estate Podcast. If you've got a question that needs answering, you can email us at myrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. And PropTrack have released a report for May which is quite comprehensive. The report says activity in property markets rebounded in May, coming off the long weekends in April. New listings in capital cities rebounded in May up 12% month on month after the Easter and Anzac Day long weekends impacted activity in April and the increase meant new listings in capital cities were up 4.3%. 3% compared to the same time last year. And joining us is Prop Track economist Angus Moore to break down all of the numbers. Good morning, Angus. Great to have you back on the podcast. Perhaps before we get to the report, what did you make of the RBA half a percentage point increase last Tuesday? Uh, good morning and th- thanks for having me again. See, we're in with the, uh, the tough questions straight off the bat, which is great. I think I've been a bit surprised by how quickly the RBA has moved this year. And I don't think I'm alone in that. You know, even as recently as three or four months ago, the governor was saying he didn't think interest rates would rise until 2023. Clearly, that's not the case. And, you know, we're in a very different world. So, you know, I don't think it was the wrong choice for the RBA to be moving the amount that they did. You know, clearly inflation is picking up and is you know going to go higher again from even where it is at the moment. And that's what the RBA is reacting to. But the speed with which they've moved has caught me by surprise a little bit. And there is a lot more coming too. I think the the shock and awe, as people have described it, it does feel like some grenades went off with this announcement with more to follow, as I mentioned. Are you picking up on perhaps another rise next month like some economists? Yeah, exactly right. It's, I think, moving by 50 rather than the 25 or even 40 that I was probably expecting, in my mind, is a clear signal from the RBA that they're going to move a lot quicker than perhaps we had thought. I'd be shocked if they weren't going to move again next month, having moved by 50 this month. How much they move next month, I think, is open for debate. 
I'd be very surprised if they did 50 this month and then stayed pat next month. Yeah, you kind of just wonder how spooked they are right now because of that inflation number of 5.1%. Certainly that's what they're reacting to. And, you know, they're from what we can read in the minutes, they're getting evidence from their liaison program that wages are picking up as well, though we're yet to see that in the official wage price index data. You know, wage growth there is still pretty modest and, and well below the, the rate of inflation. I think they're probably also looking at developments overseas. You know, the US, UK are both seeing inflation at pretty brisk pace and maybe taking some signal from that as well. Yeah, some good points. So this property rebound in May, Angus, where all cities and most regional areas saw new listings increase in May, that will surprise a lot of people, won't it? Potentially, given a lot of the commentary around the housing market and some of the doom and gloom, perhaps, that we're seeing, prices are flat or even falling a little in some places. But, you know, it's important to remember prices are up 35% compared to pre-pandemic. So even a a modest fall in prices, we're still going to be well ahead of where we were, even as recently as two years ago. But in that environment, even with those falls in prices, activities remained pretty strong this year. You know, we've had a very, very brisk start to the year. Sydney and Melbourne had the fastest first quarter in over a decade for new listings. And we're kind of seeing that continue through to May, even with the sort of interest rate rises we've seen. So New listings were up, as you said, across basically every capital city compared to April. In part, that's not a surprise. April was a quieter month because of the public holidays, which had a lot of people deferring their campaigns and, you know, so that they, they weren't affected by people being away for the Easter break, etc. But even when we compared to the same time last year, many cities are still up. You know, Melbourne's up, Brisbane's up. So activities remaining fairly brisk, even with those headwinds from interest rates. And buyers have had more properties to choose from in recent months. The wave of new supply coming to market over the last six months, particularly, as you say, in Sydney and Melbourne, has lifted the stock on market and eased how competitive the market has been. And that's only going to continue. So let's take a look, Angus, at what's happening regarding the numbers in Sydney. Yeah, so Sydney's really interesting because it's had a very busy first quarter for new listings. And what that's meant is that we're seeing the number of properties available for sale. So the total stock, if you're a buyer, that you're faced with actually now up around the decade average or even a little above. And that's a radical change from where we were even a year ago through the pandemic when buyers were faced with relatively few options. So that's going to come as pretty good news for buyers. You know, they have a lot more choice. They're not going to be seeing as much competition when they go to auction or to sale. And that's helping give buyers more choice and probably putting a little downward pressure on price. In terms of the numbers, we actually saw new listings a little softer in May in in Sydney specifically than they were last year, down about 4%. But still up quite strongly compared to April, up more than 13%. And this is coming off a very busy first quarter. So it's not surprising we've seen maybe a slightly slower month in Sydney. Regional New South Wales, on the other hand, actually pretty strong, up about 10% compared to last year in terms of new listings. So staying quite busy there. And Melbourne's property market bounced back from the quieter Easter and Anzac Day long weekends with 12.4% more new listings in May than April. So let's look at those numbers and the breakdown in Melbourne. Yeah, exactly right. You know, Melbourne, Melbourne's been very busy to start the year. You know, we said Sydney had been busy. Melbourne's been even busier. They've had an incredibly busy first quarter and that's continuing through, through May. So new listings were you know, nearly 5% higher in May than they were at the same time last year. So that's 
a significant pickup in inactivity in listings activity. And that's giving buyers a lot more choice. You know, in Melbourne, as in Sydney, the number of actively listed for sale properties is now back above decade average, which is a big change from what the case was during the pandemic when buyers were faced with relatively few choices. And coming up tomorrow, we have the second part of that interview with Angus Moore from PropTrack. Now, if you're buying or upgrading an existing property, we know that your borrowing capacity is a big part of the equation for doing that. And a mortgage broker can definitely help you understand all of the implications. We spoke to Marissa Schultz, who is a mortgage broker, a while ago, but I thought it was worth playing a portion of that interview again around this very question of borrowing capacity because people can hit trouble with credit card debt, car loans, afterpay and so the list goes on. So I asked Marissa how all of that affects someone's application because more than likely it will have an impact. Yeah, absolutely. So when someone applies for a loan application, one of the first things that the lenders will look at is all of their liabilities and their existing financial commitments. And most people are aware of that and consider, you know, there are things like your existing home loans, your existing investment loans, your existing personal loans and car loans. But a lot of people don't realise how much their credit cards will affect them. For example, the lenders will look at the credit card limit rather than the credit card balance. So if you're wanting to increase your borrowing capacity, a really good tip is to reduce your credit card limits. Another great tip is to have a look at what you're doing outside of credit cards. So if you're using afterpay or another form of buy now, pay later, short-term finance, these are really can be quite bad for your servicing. And the reason for that is because they are short-term debts and they're on such high interest rates, the repayments are very, very high when calculated by the bank. So it does put a big spanner in the works. So if you're trying to increase your borrowing capacity and the servicing is a bit tight, there's a few things you can do. You can, like I said, reduce your credit card limits. You can try and reduce any personal loans or car loans or any expensive forms of debt One option there is to try and consolidate those into a home loan, which would significantly reduce the interest rate and the repayment and increase your borrowing capacity. The other thing that you can do is also review your living expenses. You might remember, Craig, that I said that the banks look at what your income and expenses are. And one of your biggest expenses that they look at is they actually review your living expenses. And many banks actually look at your bank statements for the past six months to actually determine what your actual living expenses are. So if you can reduce your living expenses and spend less on discretionary spending before applying for a loan, then that's going to significantly increase your borrowing capacity and going to allow you to borrow more for the purpose of buying property or refinancing property or getting equity out of property. We connect you to the best real estate information across Australia. The Real Estate Podcast.